0: The new Unified Patent Court, First Impressions. Hello and welcome to another episode of Cartmels in Conversation. I'm your host, Lara Elder, and in today's episode, I'm going to be joined by agathe Michelle de Cazotte, who's a partner in our Dispute Resolution team, and Isabel Barry, a partner in our Life Sciences team. Welcome to you both. Thank you. It's good to have you here. Today we're going to be talking about the Unified Patent Court, which I think is fair to say has been a major topic within IP for very many years now, a long time in the making, and very excitingly finally opened its doors on the 1st of June, so just over a month ago. And now that the court has officially opened, we wanted to reflect, I think, today on our experiences in the first month of the court opening and our expectations for the coming months. So... I guess the first question I have is, how has it been the first few weeks, how you were expecting them to be? Thank
1: you. Yes, there were all sorts of different expectations in different quarters. And yeah, it's fantastic to be in this period where things are actually happening and we can watch how people are using the court. I'm sure as many listeners are aware, we had a very busy few months this year filing requests to opt patents out of the Jurisdiction of the court. And now that it's opened, we can see where the land lies on that. And it seems that well over half a million opt outs were filed and they continue to be filed. So some people are just getting through their list. And that's obviously a large number, but that does mean that there's still a large number of patents left in the court. And it's difficult to know really what to take from that because some patents are far more likely to be litigated than others. Without digging into the detail of that half a million, it's a little bit difficult to know what to take from it. And of course, it's possible to withdraw an opt-out in order to enforce a patent. And we've already seen well into triple figures on opt-out withdrawals, including one opt-out withdrawal that was subsequently followed by an infringement action. So people
0: are using that option. So what you're saying is there were quite a lot of opt-outs filed initially, probably people being cautious. And then when they want to think about enforcing those patents, they're opting back in effectively to do that. Yeah, that option is
1: available. It loses a bit of flexibility. But but yes, that is something that people can and will do. And have
0: there been a lot of actions filed already then in the court?
1: So the infringement actions are now well into double figures. It's difficult to say what a lot means, but certainly plenty of activity and new things happening every week. And there's a reasonable spread across where these are being filed. The Munich local division has been the hotspot that's got the most, but it's been nice to see infringement actions also being filed in the Nordic Baltic regional division and in other local divisions outside of Germany, such as Helsinki and Milan. There are four revocation actions so far, so early days on those, and those have all been filed on patents that were not opted out. So we haven't seen yet what some were speculating we might see, which is revocations, actions filed on patents that have been opted out and the validity of that opt-out being challenged. There's also actually, as well as those actions, we can also see how many protective briefs have been filed, how many protective letters have been filed with the
0: court, and that's well over 200. And we've certainly been busy with those as well. It's definitely been a very busy time here at Cartmells. I've been somewhat on the fringes as a member of the Trademarks team, although I know even some of my colleagues are pitching in to help with the opt-outs. So yes, it's been an exciting period of time. Definitely. I mean, how's the court handling all this, Agat? Is it processing everything well? Obviously, it's a whole new venture for the people running the court as well.
2: Yes, we're finding that everything is done with a lot of very careful attention. If you ride to the court with a very specific request, you will get an answer fairly soon. And you have to understand that the number of queries on the IT system and how it works is in several thousands. So just to give you an idea, you do get an answer to your question. Sometimes it's, sorry, that's not a very specific question. We can't deal with this right now. But when it is a question that needs a fast and efficient solution, that is found really quickly. And we've been absolutely impressed by The registry by the judges, and not only the judge that's assigned to your matter, but also the presiding judge of the court of first instance, who is actually the judge appointing judges on the panels. Everyone is very much making sure that these rules are applied in a pragmatic and efficient way. So as a result. It's been quite slow in these first few weeks because everyone is very diligent. We think that it's actually a very good sign that these rules are going to be applied in a pragmatic way, in a sensible way. And we're finding it, even though there are hiccups as there always is when you do things for the first time, everyone is working together. And that's very encouraging to say. We're not thinking that the court won't be able to stick to the timelines that are in the rules. And we're thinking on the contrary, that they're trying to iron out right now the issues that need to be ironed out at the very beginning to make sure that everything runs smoothly after that. I'd say it's slow because it's diligent and everyone's working together with the same goal, which is to have good guidelines for these new rules that we're applying for the first time it's slow and steady wins the race. So hopefully by treating it, everything really
0: serious, they want to do it right first time, which is the way to go, as you say. So I suppose looking ahead a little bit further, we've been talking about the very early days here. I mean, what are we looking out for in the first year, Isabel, do you think?
1: It'll be interesting to see the big picture on which industries are using the court. So it's still quite early days now, but I think a lot of people have been surprised to see that three out of the four revocation actions filed to date are in the biotech space, whereas there was a lot of people were forecasting there'd be more action in high tech and telecoms. And on the revocation action side, there's been none of that so far. I think that will be watched very carefully. On the infringement side, also, the most infringement actions have been mechanical engineering space, um, a handful in biotech and only a couple in telecoms and electrical engineering. It's going to be interesting to see that. And in large part, because what we're all particularly excited about is seeing how the case law develops and seeing what this new court does. And the industries and the sectors that use it will influence that to some extent. Or certainly we would expect case law to be different in different industries. So we might see the case law as applicable to the life sciences developing faster, potentially.
2: Yeah, we were talking about this earlier, Isabel, the fact that both parties in an action have products will clearly mean that the way the court approaches the balance of interests is different to cases where one of the parties only holds patents and doesn't have any products yet or at all. Some judges have been quite transparent on the fact that, of course, the balance of interests is different depending on the situation. And that's very much linked to the way patent litigation is done in those different sectors. So that's very interesting to see how this develops. Yeah, and of course we'll see some
1: decisions on provisional measures fairly quickly, but we will have to wait a slightly over
0: a year to see decisions on
1: the merits, a little bit of waiting.
0: I was going to ask that question actually. I mean, does the court have a, a particular timeline for cases? How long can a litigant expect to be
2: waiting for a first-instance decision? It's setting the rules. For the first instance, it's a one-year timeline, a slightly less for provocation actions, but you're supposed to have your decision within a year. That's pretty quick. Yeah, it's pretty quick. And Isabel was mentioning that we would have decisions earlier in preliminary requests, provisional measures. There is no timeline for that, but we already know that some hearings are set for early September. That's, of course, first instance of provisional measures, but... There has been a PI granted ex-party already, so that order will be available as soon as orders are made available. That's pretty exciting. Yes, it is. In some ways, it's some decisions already out there. And what about the sort of, you've mentioned Agat
0: already, some teething issues maybe with IT systems, etc. Have there been any other procedural issues at this point? And do you think whatever they may or may not be, they're going to get sorted
2: out? Yes, I think procedural issues, everyone hopes that they will be dealt with fairly quickly. But in practice, we do know that the judges went to many trainings or several trainings together and they talked about the rules and the way to interpret them. But if you've looked at the rules like we have, a lot of them can be interpreted in different ways. And of course, the judges have talked about how they should be interpreted, but it's impossible to look at every single rule in a training and think of every way possible that parties will try to use them. I think it's not realistic to assume that the way a first instance court will interpret or use those rules will be the, will give any certainty on what they mean. I think we really have to wait for court of appeal harmonisation. And the judges at the court of appeal have said that they were very much prepared to do this quite quickly, so you shouldn't be afraid to refer questions straight up to the Court of Appeal when that's an available way of dealing with it. But yes, everything, if there was clarity on procedural rules, it would make everyone's life easier. It's unrealistic to think that will happen very quickly. It will happen sooner than first-instance decisions, of course, because some of these rules can be looked at by the Court of Appeal whilst proceedings on the merits are ongoing. So potentially this winter. And one of those is the validity of the
1: opt-out. So if one of those is challenged, that's something that we might see the Court of Appeal look at sooner rather than later. And hopefully that will iron out some of the question marks around what the rules meant and give people far more certainty.
0: Of course, at the moment, the opt-out documents aren't publicly available. Another question I had about this new court. So it's a European... Kind of institution, so inevitably multilingual. What's going on with languages' use in the court, and how does that all work?
1: Well, interestingly, there was a bit of drama, a bit of potentially politicking in May, just before the court opened, when several of the local divisions, including several of the ones they expected to have the most cases, announced that they weren't going to add English to their local language. But I think it was just a handful of days before the court opened, they changed their mind and added English so now it's going to be possible to use English in a great number of situations in the UPC which I've heard quite a few of the judges saying that they prefer that because it puts everybody on the same footing everybody speaks English.
0: I thought we were going to get through an entire episode of our podcast without mentioning Brexit but (laughs) it's there spectre in the background always uh, some politicking around that But yes, as you say, I suppose it would, since everybody does operate in English a lot of the time now, it makes sense to have that as an option.
2: Yes. And Lara, I mean, in this field, when you're talking about an invention, you need to dive into lots of scientific articles and publications that are all drafted in English. Having, as is the case at the moment, actions pending in Italian and in German, for example, is maybe convenient for some but it means that for everyone (laughs) you have to translate an awful lot of scientific publications and you, you lose content when you translate and not to mention the expense as well exactly and also judges sitting in local divisions on panels don't all speak the local language or at least not in a fluent way you are potentially talking about quite complex science in a language in which some of the judges are not very comfortable. Whereas all of those we've spoken to are actually quite used to working in English, more than happy to do that in English rather than impose tricky language to someone else on the panel. And is there anything else to be said, I think, at this point on what we're looking out for in these
0: first few months to a year? Any other points on rules?
2: Yes, I think probably the main point I would say as a takeaway is to follow the developments. We've had a first few weeks that were very interesting. A lot of questions have been solved already and it's just going to continue that way. So anticipate different scenarios and keep in mind that the Court of Appeal will be the one ironing out any questions that are still in heated debates, but make sure that you're nice and reactive to be able to follow the wind if it goes in a direction that you didn't want it to go for example.
0: Yes well I mean of course you Agatha and Isabel and colleagues here at Cartmills will be doing just that and keeping a close eye on developments. And I'm pretty certain that this our first UPC podcast will not be the last. (laughs) I'm sure there is more to come as case law develops and procedural issues are discussed and ironed out.
1: Yeah, and we do, of course, continue to put briefing notes on our UPC hub and there's lots of
0: information on there on the Carmel's website. There is indeed. Well, I think that's probably all we've got time for. Thank you both, Agat and Isabel, for your interesting insights and comments today I'm sure the podcast will have provoked thoughts and comments and questions and that one or both of you would be happy to answer those. As you say, Isabel, do have a look at our website as well, the UPC hub there. Otherwise, thank you very much for listening and we look forward to welcoming you back for another episode of Cartmails in Conversation very soon.